collaboration is got to be the most overused word in architecture right now. It's everywhere. It's Oh yeah, yeah. And it, it's like every time you hear it, it you just want to cringe. But it's not just isolated to like one thing. It's virtually everything. Let's create collaborative space. Let's, you know, make sure this is more conducive to collaboration. Let's do collaborate. You know, it's just like, oh, my God, you're right. You're right. Welcome to the Archispeak podcast. I'm Evan Troxell. Each episode, Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and I have a casual conversation about all things architecture, and we invite you to listen in as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the blocks of Corbusier's City of Tomorrow more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we stand around the water cooler and talk about why we love our chosen profession. It's time for some Archispeak. Welcome to episode 41 of the Archispeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And to start us off this week, we're going to reach back an episode and give you a little update on our contest winner. And since I did... What was the contest? The contest. The contest was based on our last episode where we kind of geeked out a little bit and talked about our hobbies and uh, talked about uh, my comic book collection. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun to have a little contest to see who could guess how many comic books I owned. And so what I did was I I took a little screenshot and we'll have it in the show notes of my uh, comic base statistics. And it it, uh, shows the total number of comic books that I I think you meant comic book sadistics. Probably, uh, you know, <laughs> lifelong, uh, you know, infliction, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that grand number, by the way, is 8,526 as of August 10th, 2014. So going out for our challenge, our winner, actually, we kind of have two winners because I didn't state... Because there was no fine print. There was no fine print. (laughs) So we're going to go ahead and give two winners. Um, That's what happens when you record the show only a day before it airs, and you don't have a lot of time to to write the show notes. Think about yeah, Yeah. we had the over and under. Exactly. So, uh, so our our winner without going over is Mr. Mark R. LePage of Entree Architect, and. He actually he gets a little asterisk next to his name because he actually guessed fifteen hundred pounds worth of comics, and so I had to go do a little bit of math and figure out what the average comic book weight is, and I'll have a link to uh, the Wikipedia page for that. But it says that basically the average weight is between four and five ounces, and uh, and we won't satisfy Cormac here by going into how many annuals I have or collections and, you know, books that are longer than the average comic book and, and get into that level of detail. But basically the super size or the <laughs> giant size and all that other crap. That's right. And I, I yes, I have some of those as well. So um, but anyway, the average comic book weighs about four ounces. So fifteen hundred pounds calculates out to about six thousand comic books. 
So congratulations to Mark for being the closest without going over. But I also have to give a shout out to Collier Ward, who guessed 10,000 comic books. So technically closer than Mark's answer, but he did go over. And because we had no fine print, we give them both shout outs on episode 41. So congratulations, guys. So if you ever go to Neil's house and you walk into the kitchen. Yes. Don't. Go into the kitchen. Don't go in the kitchen. Yes. Be careful where you because stand there are in the two kitchen. Tons of comics on the second floor. <laughs> Not two tons. One ton. Well, sorry, one ton. Yeah. One ton. Two thousand pounds of comics. All in a concentrated load. Not in a concentrated load over his where he sets all of his guests. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that would be the dining room. The, the living room is safe. It, it's safe. It's just if you're doing dishes, you might, you know, you might be in a little trouble there. But Jeez. <laughs> should have had your so, wife uh... check your math on that one. <laughs> yeah. We trust her calculator more than yours. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, so again, congratulations for everybody who, uh, you know, to the winners and also for everyone else who, uh, who posted comments and, and guesses as to how many comic books and, and hopefully people are not completely shocked uh, by that, by that number. Now, <laughs> Two everybody get your calculators One out ton. because the average price varies between two ninety nine <laughs> and three ninety nine per comic. So no, go no, ahead don't, and don't do, do the, the math. Now, Cormac, you can't, you can't go there because, you know, I've been collecting books for like 35 years that's and true. you know the he, average he price did. of a comic book thirty five years ago was probably about he does thirty have a cents. Comics number one that he bought from the newsstand. No, I do not have that. <laughs> and wish. for those that don't know, yes, exactly. Action Comics came out in like about June of nineteen thirty eight, and I am not that old. Okay, <laughs> was that wasn't that thirty six though? No, because that was the first appearance of Superman. Thirty eight. Thirty eight. Yes. So it was a few years back. Yes. So anyway, um, so Cormac, since you're, you're going off and giving me a bad time here, you've got the next topic. I'm going to let you take this one on since, uh, um, because you were the first one to actually do it. Although you were, I think the technically the last one to post the video. Yeah. Because you guys didn't tell me that you were posting it until after you'd already done it. (laughs) Which I was the one who went through the whole rant talking about, you know, we were challenged and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. It got well, really, really wordy. Why don't you tell everybody about the challenge first? All right. So the we were, as everybody has probably seen, going through the uh, interwebs, that uh, there's the ALS ice bucket challenge going around like wildfire right now. And if for those of you who don't know what that challenge is, it isn't just... A bunch of crazy people dumping ice water on top of their head. It is um, to both raise awareness and raise money for um, ALS. And uh, we were challenged by one of our contest winners, uh, Mark LePage. And he, um, you know, he he called us out. I think he was on his and... last day of vacation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, apparently he had nothing better to do, like maybe pack up a car or anything else. No, he wanted to dump water on his head and make us do it too. Yeah. Um, but we accepted his challenge, and um, 
not only are we donating money, but what we would like to do is anybody who donates money between the airing of this show to the airing or recording of the next show, we'll take all of that money that's donated to the show and donate it to ALS as well. Yeah, so anybody who goes to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate and wants to do it there, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and make a, a donation you know that that totals all those up and and we'll do it all at once there on the on the ALS. So it's just another way for you to do it if you if you don't feel like going through all of the filling out of the forms and everything on their page when you donate, you can just do it on our site if you want. Right. And if you don't want to do it through our site because you know, you don't trust Neil cuz he's going to No, go no, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It, I don't <laughs> handle that part of the podcast. Uh, business here that that all that that goes to evan but very trustworthy if if you yeah very trustworthy you got your t-shirt right evan's trustworthy he did that too (laughs) (laughs) anyway if you if you don't want to uh do it through our website um then we encourage you to go to the alsa.org and uh you'll actually see a link there for uh, donations, and you can also click on their link for the Ice Bucket Challenge and do it yourself, call out some new people, and uh, keep this awareness going. Yeah, I think this is a cool way for them this year to, I don't know if you guys looked, but on their website as of today, they've received $22.9 million in donations compared to $1.9 million last year during the same time right. period. Wow. That's huge. And, you know, that really shows the kind of the power of this, the viralness and, and people passing this along to their friends and, and really having fun with it. But at the same time, I mean, it, it really is doing an amazing amount of work to creating a a world without ALS, you know, so that I think that's, that's a big deal. You know, and, and my, my wife and I have commented about this because, you know, we see him going on and on and all this other stuff. And before we really you know, knew what it was. I mean, technically here's how it goes. You either donate a hundred dollars to ALS or you do the bucket challenge. So if you do the bucket challenge, what you're doing is helping them raise awareness, but you're really not giving them any money. And so we are like, you know, it's a little self-serving kind of ridiculous, but the more and more you would see those numbers that Evan was just talking about, the more you realize that, no, this is, this is real. This is legitimate. And, you know, this really is going to a great cause. And they really, it really is actually affecting a change. So, um, you know, I was just like, oh, I just hope nobody ever, you know, calls this out. You know, just being, <laughs> just being a little, you know, cynical about it. I and was excited. We, I thought it was fun. <laughs> well, and then we, we got the call from uh, Mark to do it. I was just like, you know what? Uh, you know, and even my wife was like, you know, this, you guys have to do this. And, of course, my kids were more than willing, just like Neil and Evan's children were more than willing to help dump. Oh, yeah, my kids, my kids high-fived the, uh, the, each other in the background. So, yeah, <laughs> if you want to see our videos, go to our Facebook page, and uh, you can see them on there. And you can see who we called out. And I have to say, we need to give Jess Stafford a shout-out for wearing his Arcaspeak t-shirt when he did. Absolutely. Oh, that yeah. was very cool. So, thanks, Jess. And uh, anybody else who we called out, if you are a proud owner of an Arcaspeak t-shirt, you know, do us a solid, wear it. That's right. (laughs) 
Let's and see. I called out the CEO of my firm. Let's see what happens there. I mean, that's a, I think this is a, a good PR opportunity for them. There you go. <laughs> you, you, know you, done, you know what you've done, yeah. is your entire company will be going out into the parking lot. I know. Dumping water on their head. We're going to dump it like off the second floor onto it. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be impactful. Let's my, say that. My kids were, were, were very willing, not quite capable of getting the water completely over my I know head, you're like down on your knees too man I was down and I yeah <laughs> yeah I think you should have uh don't you have like a front stoop or something like that or anything that you, uh... I think you need to do over well you know what though I concerning the drought in California oh, I good didn't want to be out on uh, concrete I, I was uh, okay. down on the grass trying to feed the feed the grass a little bit of extra water uh, I figured I didn't want it to go to waste. So, yeah, unfortunately, the kids, uh, maybe I should have had them stand on some chairs or something. But, you know, they really couldn't hold that bucket of ice up for very long. So oh, yeah, it, it, no, was, see, it was a bit of a challenge for them. But if you, watch uh, you my son, if you watch my son in the background, he keeps, like, picking it up, putting it down. Picking <laughs> they were, like, ready. You just keep on talking. You just kept talking. You just kept, like, making him wait. <laughs> Jesus Christmas. Just shut up and let me pour it on you. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if any of our listeners would like to have Neil do a, a do-over. No, no. <laughs> make comments Let's on vote. our webpage. Yeah. And if we can reach the magic number of one person. No, no. No, I think we need to have like a set of, a pretty high standard here. If we, if we, we raise 8, like. We need 8,200 and something people to. Uh... Yes, exactly. No, 8,526. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll do a do-over. That sounds like a good that's challenge. That's doable. That's a, that's a viral challenge right there. <laughs> there it is. There There's the viral challenge. Match the number if, of comic books we, that Neil has. If we get as many likes on Facebook or Twitter or whichever one is closer to Neil's uh, comic books, then Then I will gladly do a do-over. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. It's so hot out here. I don't think that. I would complain about doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> it was like 97 today. So. Oh, wow. Uh, it was, Actually, it, I was looking. It, it had kind of cooled off a little bit here, but it was uh, it was still cold. <laughs> yeah, I was so fidgeting because uh, I was getting eaten up by mosquitoes. Oh, it's so lovely. It's just, like, just like, come on, hurry up. You know, you know <laughs> it's like, go ahead and pour it because you know, daddy's getting eaten up. All right. Well, speaking of being eaten up. <laughs> nice. Evan, why don't you introduce our topic right. for tonight? All right. We are talking about collaboration and consultants. And uh, we've had a listener write in asking for our thoughts on working with engineers and other consultants. And uh, they, let me just read what they wrote. Sometimes it seems with the right team, everything runs so smoothly and they take pride in their projects the same way we do. I think he's talking about consultants there. Um, other times, more often than not, it seems like they just don't care or just trying to get the job done end up slowing down the project. We have a new saying in our office that working with consultants is literally like trying to herd cats. And, uh, man, I've got some good stories just this week on yeah. this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think this is a great topic. And so the uh, the purse word, collaboration... And everybody's favorite consultants. Um, let's let's do this. <laughs> we'll <laughs> start us fun. off. What's what's what happened this week? Well, first, you know, these there's there is I don't know how 
related these two words are. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not, right? So collaboration has got to be the most overused word in architecture right now. It's everywhere. It's Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it's like every time you hear it, it you just want to cringe. Um, but it's... Uh, it's it, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, but it's not just isolated to like one thing. It's virtually everything. Oh, yeah. Let's create collaborative space. Let's, you know, make sure this is more conducive to collaboration. Let's do collaborate. You know, it's just like, oh, my oh God. yeah, you're right. Got, you're right. We've got collaboration rooms in, in new schools. We, we've got collaborative work environments at work. We've got you're, you're totally right on. It's it's it is overused, overdone. And, and you can tell that when people say it, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, and, and my definition of collaboration, well, I won't say what's my definition, but it's a verb. This is a thing you do. This is not something you just talk about. It's not, it's not a noun. It's, it's <laughs> the collaboration is a verb. And I, instead of talking about it, I'd rather see you do it. Um, and, and I think the other part of collaboration that really is getting to me is that people seem to think that the more people on the team, the better. Oh, my God. And, and ser- like, like our job isn't hard enough to listen to what everybody has to say and try to distill that down into kind of the essence and, and, and a solution. But, but we all know, I think, that we actually need less people to actually get more work done. If you have too many cooks in the kitchen, you've got mm-hmm. you've got everybody's kind of got their own agenda and fighting for that. And it makes it really difficult. And I think more often than not, you actually need one person who's kind of the dictator of the design and they're going to actually make sure that, um, that the vision gets followed through to the end. But I feel uh, like yelling out, can I get an amen? (laughs) (laughs) That's collaboration kind of in a nutshell to me. I I think that there's a lot more. I, I mean, on the other hand, I have a really great, um, you know, exciting thing that we've been doing at work on, on the project that I've been working on. And I'm, and we're already starting CDs on this project. It's just been a whirlwind over the past few weeks. And I've been taking time off of everything else so that I can do this, but we, we have this room and we've locked ourselves in there. We've got all, all the walls to ourselves. We've got a projector, we've got computers, everybody's hooked up and, and we are face to face working on the project together. And when someone has a question, we address it right then. And everybody's on the same page, and it's working really well. And so in that aspect, uh, collaboration has been amazing. But again, it's a limited, small, tight team. It is not anybody's invited. But of course, anybody can stop by and see what we're up to, and we can talk about the project. But it's not just kind of an open forum all the time either. So... Um, I have to say that I, I posted a picture on Instagram a couple of weeks ago about what I call the the Revit War Room, and uh, I'll take another picture before this episode goes live and post it so you can kind of see how it's changed over the uh, the last couple of weeks. But it's been a fantastic way to actually work, and, and people aren't off in their own little silos. We're all in one silo together, and we're totally kicking ass in this room. So in that regard um the collaborative work environment um even though i hate to say that has been just amazing so both the good and the bad of collaboration what i mean what do you guys think well you know i mean if we want to talk more specific to i guess the the comment that was made by one of the listeners um you know and he was i guess being more specific to how 
an architecture firm collaborates with all of their consultants, mechanical, electrical, yeah. plumbing, you know, those kind of people. This is a multifaceted yeah. uh, thing, you know, yeah, topic I, for I, sure. I, you know, I think we could like, you know, we could take it in so many different directions and, you know, I, but I think in this particular one, you know, you've got, you know, in, in our particular office, what we tend to do is we mostly work with people that we've worked with in the past. Almost every one of our projects, um, consultant wise, you mean consultant wise are all people that we know we're comfortable with. We know what to expect from them. They know what to expect from us. Um, even if we're doing something, you know, far reaching design wise or something very, you know, button down conservative. I mean, they know, you know, depending on which project manager, um, what they're going to get from, you know, from us, but they also know that we're going to take the leadership role and that we will guide everybody together to make sure that everybody has all the proper information that all of the meetings that we sit down for coordination and everything, all of those are, are all generated through us. So if the collaboration fails, it really actually kind of falls on us. It's our fault because we're the ones who've taken that kind of leadership role. Now, you know, you can have somebody who's kind of a weak link on the project that may not, um, you know, we've, We've had in the past where we had um, a fire protection engineer, and I think we went through four or five different um, project managers. And just like you were kind of hinting to earlier, you know, throwing all of these, you know, throwing too many bodies at it. The problem was is that because we had so much turnover with this one particular engineer on somebody who knew what was going on with the project, we were always playing catch up with that particular discipline and and it was absolutely like herding cats i mean it was you know you i'd have to sit down every time there was a new project manager kind of explain to them okay this is what the project is this is what your predecessor did up until this point this is what we need and then every time they would change it over i would have to keep saying this is where you're at this is what i need over and over and over again and take over you know and it's you know it was kind of rough and then um you get the point where and and again you were hinting at this when you're like say um my boss starts to feel a little bit panicky about oh are they going to finish this project in time rather than just kind of letting it go let it finish up and run its course you know sometimes they pull the trigger and say throw more bodies oh and when you start doing that killing me exactly it's now you know normally it's let's throw bodies <laughs> at the project that are the youngest most yes. inexperienced not only and, that let's throw people who have no clue what the project is about how things have been done what are the standards oh, right. it's it's so painful right why okay so, so i'm curious why does that always seem to happen we well, all know it doesn't work right yeah. Well, you but know, what other options do you have? I mean, the project's due in three days. <laughs> it, it's a tough situation to be in, but at the same time, like it was improperly designed from the beginning, as far as how much time it actually takes to get the oh, work done. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, um, it really 
I'll say you're absolutely right. The collaborative effort, and you know, I don't want to overuse that word. Well, it has to begin at the beginning. So, so in other words, it's it's failed right from the start. It's designed to fail, not on purpose. Yes, but it's the person who's creating that work plan for it to happen is usually disconnected from actually doing the work. There are people who manage people who do the work, and they fail to ask people how long they think it's going to take to do the work. They just write the number down. Or when they did it, the way, you know, back when they were a project manager or something, they didn't have Revit. They didn't have some of the tools that we have now. So things where we would do a little bit of work, you know, let's just talk about, like you say, 20% of the work in DD, 20% of the work, or... SD is like 10 to 15, 20% in DD, and then the rest of it, effort-wise, yeah. is in CDs. Right. Well, it's now flipped. it's a lot, it's more front-end loaded with Revit, you know, because you're building the model, you know, you're trying to get it, all of that yeah, stuff. It forces you to make decisions very early. It does. It does. And, and I don't think that, um, especially with some of our clients, they're... They're not ready for it. Their billing um, department is not ready for it because normally they're used to only say it. They've geared the way that they work. Okay, if they get their funding, well, we're going to fund. We're going to fund it through design, but not construction documents in this fiscal year. And we know that it's only like thirty-five percent of the overall project. Well, the problem is, is that we're probably throwing around 70% of the overall project in that first 35% that they're willing to pay us. So, you know, you kind of, you're getting into an area right now where they're not fully understanding the way that BIM works, but they're still wanting us to stay in the old way of billing. When we're doing more work up front, they still want to pay us the least amount of work up front. So then you're upside down on your time card, right? Because you're billing, in air quotes, more hours to the project than you should be. Yeah. Up yeah. too early, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it, tell me how that makes sense as a salaried employee. <laughs> how have I worked too many hours on this project? Right. Literally, just think about that. It's impossible. Well, I think that there needs to be, you know, there's that whole... Um, We've started to embrace BIM. We've started to embrace the way that, you know, and in fact, in many cases, especially in clients that, you know, both you and I, Evan, work with, they're requiring BIM. They may not know what to do with BIM. No, they just require it because someone told them to. Exactly. 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 Like, you know, honestly, I really wish that this uh, last project that was, you know, more historically bent. I honestly wish that I would have done it in CAD um, because there was too many, too many things that were, had to be created in BIM that weren't, you know, part of the out of the box package. Yeah. You'll never get that money back. Right. And we spent so much time doing 117 year old double hung windows, Yeah, you know, um, spending a lot of time detailing things out. The coining in the brick, you know, trying to figure out how the coining in the brick work, how the water table, um, 
the cast in place concrete water table, how that was, you know, how that worked with the whole thing and all these different facets and faces of the, uh, of the facade, you know, and, you know, we were just having to work it out. It's not that we couldn't do it. It's, we had to spend a lot of time doing that up front. So that's a, I mean, it's an impressive model that we have, but it's, you know, it's a model that took a very long time to do. And, uh, honestly, to be quite honest with you, I probably could have gotten the job done a lot faster, probably with less people if it was just a straight cat job. Now there's yeah. really no magic to it. Would it would would it have turned out, you know, the same? You know what? I probably say that there was Bim saved me a lot in understanding. It's like, oh well, if I've got one building side by side to another building. And yeah. sorry, I'm going on on this little tangent here, but so I connected two buildings. One building, you know, both were three story buildings, but there were seven foot elevation difference between them. So if I was the lower of the two buildings was where the boiler room was, all the piping that was coming through then had to jog up through the addition that connected the two buildings and then go jog up again into the other building. But as it came out underneath the the um, floor of one building, it was, instead of it being... In the ceiling plenum, it was actually coming midway through the wall. So it was like seven feet off the ground rather than up in 11 feet. Hmm. You know, so then what do you do? You know, you've got to kind of do all these things. Yeah, so that model really does come so in handy. That's where the model absolutely saved me. Yeah. And would I have probably seen that in CAD? Probably not. Yeah. And then I would have been completely caught off guard during... Um, uh, during CA and, um, you know, so that's where I kind of, so honestly, and who caught it? And so to bring it back to what we're talking about, who caught that problem? It was our structural engineer, very good, exceptional structural engineer, you know, want to keep working with these guys. Cause they're just, they were, they were on it and they, <coughs> sorry, they saw these, uh, saw some of these issues and they were like, Hey, you know, I just want to alert you. Did, did you know that this was what was going on? And, you know, we're going to have to put a big, huge uh, hole in this wall. And so, you know, through the collaboration process, through having a good team, you know, we got, uh, we got a good project because, you know, everybody's eyes were on this project, looking at it, scrutinizing over it, double checking each other's work, making sure everybody was picking up everything. That's yeah. great when everyone's working in Revit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before well, you know, I go was, there. <laughs> you know, it was interesting, though, is that they didn't produce their documents, or they didn't do their details in Revit, but they did model it to make sure everything worked right. Yeah. Class so, you know, it was kind of, it was it was a hybrid project. They, they did a lot of, you know, most of our uh, consultants at that time, they did... Um, you know, they did all of their work in, uh, in CAD and, you know, let me ask you, do you, have you recognized that in some of our consultants, they'll actually ask, um, for more money to do a BIM project rather than a CAD project? Oh, totally. 
is ridiculous <laughs> at this day and age. Which is which is hilarious because you know not only is it the more preferred method delivery method, but it actually to me, if you've got trained people, it's going to reduce problems. It's going to reduce the headaches during the whole process, not increase them, which yeah. is normally what happens in CAD. Yeah. Well, before Sorry, I get into I, my I horror story, I want okay. So Neil's got a completely different take on this, I'm sure, because he is a sole proprietor. So Neil. Well, I don't know if I necessarily have a different take, but um, you know, just like you guys, uh, you like to work with the same sorts of uh, consultants if you can. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I want to work with good consultants. I well, okay, the same doesn't but really mean, matter to me. Well, yes, let true. me rephrase That's... that. I mean, when you have a good consultant, you want to keep working with that yeah. consultant, and um, so you tend to, you know, find uh, ones that the challenge I think for me has been um, really going from one part of the industry where you have consultants. Um, you know, from my previous work experience being mostly in production housing and there's engineers and other consultants that kind of do those types of projects. And, and then now becoming a sole proprietor, you know, those same consultants and engineers, they don't do the kind of smaller jobs that I'm doing now. And, and they're completely inappropriate. They they just don't do that type of work. It's kind of like having a, um, you know, mechanical engineer for your school projects, trying to do, you know, mechanical layout for a house. Right. I mean, right. it's just, they don't, they, they're not a good fit. Yeah. They're not a good fit. And so the challenge yeah. for me has been really finding the right consultants to work with that do this type of work or the type of work that I'm doing now, which is more in the, the custom home and remodel sort of, uh, arena. And, and finding those people when you don't have the background uh, in that sort of, uh, you know, part of the world is is much more of a challenge. And so um, I completely agree, though, with our listener saying that, you know, when you do have uh, good engineers and consultants working with you, you know, the, the project goes well. There is hopefully good communication happening. And like you were mentioning, Cormac, where your engineer found a problem for you and alerted you to it. The average engineer or the sub average engineer isn't going to say anything or may not even catch it. And then suddenly everybody's surprised. But, uh, but having that team attitude uh, amongst your consultants to get a project done is very helpful. Uh, I'm currently working on a fairly large remodel uh, consulting with a, with another firm on it. And uh, it it's, it's been a challenge in that there's like about 10 different consultants on this project and all very valid. I mean, you know, we have a pool consultant, we have a solar consultant, we have mechanical, we have electrical, um, and, and a number, you know, civil and, and all these different people that you have to have for this project, but it almost becomes, um, a full-time job keeping up with all of these different people. Because oh, yeah. they're all, they're, they're all want questions. You know, they, the electrical oh, yeah. engineer yeah, needs something from the mechanical and the mechanical needs something from the electrical and the electrical needs something from the solar. And, and it's just, they're all coming through you because they won't talk to each other. And in this case, we have some of the consultants we normally use in this office 
And so we know them, they know us, but then there are some other consultants that are coming through the client. And so they don't know us. They don't know our, our team. And so that it's this back and forth and it becomes a full-time job, just managing the consultants, which means in my case, the guy I'm working with on this was on vacation last week. And so that whole week, I literally got nothing done on the production, you know, of actually doing the, any drawings right. on this project, because I spent literally my whole week doing nothing but getting something for this person, getting, you know, trying yeah. to coordinate, facilitating the email process is a huge nightmare. And so I think yeah. that's, you know, that's something that a lot of people, especially, you know, a lot of students may be listening to this when you start you know, when you come out and you start working in, in, um, in an office, you'll find that, you know, not every, not the architect doesn't do the whole project. You know, we do need these people, uh, to get different parts of our jobs done. And, you know, the management of all of those people is part of the job as well. You don't just sit there and design the project and do your architecture and then go away. You know, right. So all of that needs to be collaborated with. And I think as our listener mentioned, you know, it's like herding cats. It sort of is like herding cats because they only want to know certain information and, and they don't care about anything else. And so it, it's a big challenge. And, and one, I think you guys see on a much larger scale than I do when I'm doing smaller projects. Well, you just explained my entire job. Um, <laughs> I, I literally spend most time, most days, um, you know, maybe in a week, 10% of it's actually doing either anything production related, um, like actual drawing or redlining or something like that. Most, you know, once we get out of the design phase, once we get into the, um, once we get past the DD phase and we're now into CDs, it's literally all yeah it's all coordination coordination uh it's it's phone calls it's meetings it's you name it it's everything yeah. and which is interesting because you know you you said that about you know the students who are listening um first time i took uh we had a, a new employee she was fresh out of school uh you know they they put her on my team and I like to take all of the more recent graduates and take them out into the field because I want them to see what they're drawing. You know, this line that you're putting in the computer, well, that beam right there is that line. And you got to uh, kind of understand the correlation between the two. So, you know, I like to take them out into the field a lot. And um, so we, were, we went through a, a uh, progress meeting talking and all this other stuff i'm for more or less kind of running the the meeting and everything else and as we were leaving they were like wow i didn't realize how much management was in it well <laughs> that's essentially even with the design phase that's essentially what we do right you know it's management of some way thing or form you know it's yeah. management of the design management of the people management of the you know your consultants and engineers and contractors and everybody else client you know um it's just it's management of everything yeah which uh, is 
the collaboration. All right, so let's take a minute out of the show here to talk about our sponsor for this episode, and that is Architect Exam Prep. And our friend David Doucette over at architectexamprep.com has a study guide for those of you who are studying to pass the NCARB AREs with the Architects Registration Exams. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, and one of the reasons we do this podcast is because we care a lot about our profession. And we need great people to become licensed architects so that we can take this profession where we want it to go. And that's something that I've been working on really hard over the last couple of years. And one of the things that helps you get to that point is to get these exams out of the way. And David created some really amazing study materials. They're study guides for almost every exam. So what you need to do is head over to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash A-R-E. And on that page, you can uh, visit the link, get a little bit more info about architect exam prep and every sale that David makes uh, through that link on our webpage, a little bit of that goes back to Arcaspeak. So you can not only help support the show, but you can also get a leg up on studying for your exams. And, uh, you know, I have lots of friends who have used his materials and they swear by them. Uh, David's put a lot of effort into these. You will not be disappointed. So go to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash A-R-E and check it out from there. And uh, we really appreciate it. So, all right, let's get back into the show. All right, so let's talk about collaboration with our consultants. You know, I think I think collaboration within the office, people want usually to be involved in that. Oh yeah. And if yeah. they're not, they're kind of sour about it, right? But um consultants like get, getting back to the original question was like it it really most of the time is they just don't care. It's like I feel like we compete for these projects. We're going up against other architects, you know, especially in the public realm. There's right. a lot of heavy right. competition. And I would say, you know, it's probably the same thing in residential, too. I'm sure everybody who's shopping for an architect is shopping three or four architects. But um, unless they really know you. Um, so I feel like, you know, we want this job. We are passionate about what we're doing. We, we're working really hard. And then we end up kind of handing it over to a, a consultant who is, you know, part of the good old boys club who has done a bunch of our work. This is my experience. And, and it is really like, Oh, you know, thanks. And then as the job progresses, it turns into you're bothering me. And for instance, we did a, a job kickoff meeting on this project I'm working on and the milestones and deadlines were announced we talked about how often Revit releases were going to be posted. Um, our models go up every Friday. Their models come in every Monday. Um, so I sent out an email last week that says, I have not seen any of your models even once. And it's been four weeks. I've sent out a new model every week. And that takes me a lot of time because it's actually not just one model. It's eight different buildings and a site. And every model has to be cleaned up. Things expunged from the model, purged out, put onto the site, a list of changes for each building goes up, and that's been ignored for four weeks in a row, is what I hear. Wow. Oh, well, we're not going to, we're waiting for your 100% DD model until we put pen to paper and Revit, because we don't want to make any changes. And I'm like, okay, so when we had this collaborative kickoff meeting, and no one said, 
a single word about that. And everybody said, yes, we will upload our models every Monday. How does this fit into the equation? It you just, know, it, it pissed me. And, and it, to me, this is the same old crap. Yeah. It's the same crap all the time that we get. And do we still hire these people? Yes, we do. Because <laughs> they're the cheapest. And yeah. we, we play the same game that we don't want our clients to play with us. Right. And it pisses or, or me off. Or the contractors to play and everything else. And we do the same thing. Because cause we're freaking spineless. No, well... We've got that, but we also have, you know, especially, you know, you guys and us doing public work, you know, buildings, school buildings, things like that, that they literally are, not only are they, when they go to contractors, they're looking for the low bidder. They're also looking for the low bid on architects. Oh, of course. You know, and, you know, okay, well... If and to you accomplish that, do you need the low bid on the consultants? Right. So you need to lowball the consultants, and then you say, "Well, you know, maybe we don't need that yeah. or that or that." You know or what that. I call this? This is the race to the bottom. Yeah, I, I. You know, where does that lead? It leads to going bankrupt. I'm currently pulling together a an additional services um, proposal to send off to our client, and uh, as they come in, I'm looking at them and I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know if totaling it all up and i'm like yeah you know i don't think the client's gonna really go for that and then i have to turn around and lowball you know try to squeeze a little bit more out of the consultants to get to a magic number that the because we're informed that any money that you ask additional is coming out of the construction budget yeah and this is the project that i keep talking about that and you know what (laughs) keep pulling money out of the project and so again this leads to like today i get a call from my electrical electrical he's talking to me about plumbing for some reason i don't know why i mean they are the same firm who's doing plumbing but he's not the plumbing engineer and he's like did you guys move the sinks in the classrooms to the other side of the counter yeah we did and and to me, this isn't a problem because they haven't started their Revit model, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Even if it was, not a big deal. Like, we go through some insanely, incredibly huge changes from week to week oh. um, based on client and consultant input. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's That's part of the job. So you know what he tells me? He's like, wow, it's a really good thing we didn't start this in Revit before because this would have been a huge change. And I'm like, really? To move a sink over? Oh, yeah, this would have been a huge change. And I'm thinking, again, I, I have to think, this guy has no clue what it takes to actually do the work because I know, I actually build these Revit models, guys. I know what it takes to do this, and that is incredibly simple, and you can't right. bullshit me like that. And what's even worse about that is even up through, um, and I don't know about your MEP guys, but even up through, like, say, 50% CDs, they're still doing single line. Single line, yep. And you're like, are you kidding me? How I mean, can I coordinate anything? Right. How, how do you wait until 50% CDs until I can actually start coordinating anything? And say you're supposed to, you know, which was what uh, um, my blood started to boil when you were talking about, well, we're not <laughs> going to, uh, you know, we're not going to do anything until 100% uh, DDs, you know, until we get your 100%. You know, the whole point of me doing this DD process is for me to flush out what major items I need to 
include into this because I also need to. So now you're telling me because of your single line drawings have now miraculously at 50% started to pop up and become real duct work. And now I have 36 inch wide ducts going down my corridors that don't fit into this existing building. Now I need to build bulkheads. Well, you know, my DD estimate didn't have, you know, bulkheads, a yeah. whole 270,000 square feet of bulkheads in them because now I have to do this or, you know, in we came up with a really interesting um, solution in one project. And thankfully, and we'll go to the good side of the collaboration where <laughs> let's, let's let's make this positive <laughs> yeah where we had a really good um engineering company that worked with us through design development because here we are adding you know doing the bulk of the renovation was a you know major systemics completely ripping out all of their old hvac what little they actually had and coming in and putting in you know a new modern system so we've got ductwork where they would normally never have ductwork. Well, because these are old 1960s buildings, um, we don't have a floor-to-ceiling height that is conducive to running the ductwork above the ceiling unless we want, like, six-foot-five ceilings. What's wrong with that? So <laughs> in an elementary school, that's fine. And yeah, right. It is an elementary school. <laughs> Tall kids don't apply. But, so what we ended up doing was... Um, I'd proposed, well, what if we basically, because the, it, it was Papa do center this thing. Well, it was <laughs> in, a, in a way, you know, you, you, you say that, but in a way that's kind of what we, well, it was, it's a post and beat, you know, it's, it's basically columns and beams and then all of the walls and the windows and stuff are basically just infill. So I said, okay, we've got columns and beams on either side of the corridor what if we basically rip the roof off of the corridor, the full length, and we build the doghouse on top of the corridor and run everything above the old structure rather than below the old structure? Brilliant. Sure, we're going to have to pipe down and drop some bulkheads to get underneath the the duct. Uh, the bottom of the beam was at like uh, 9 foot 2. And so with the duct, I had to have certain areas where I ended up turning it into a design feature, but took the ductwork and went underneath, and it was at the ceiling was at eight feet. Everywhere else it was at nine feet, you know, and it was nice and comfortable and worked. But then what it, you know, so we put everything on top. But that was because of a collaboration between the architect and the engineers. If I would have had to have waited to get any input from them till DD, I mean. <laughs> Oh, I would, yeah. literally would have had to have redesigned the entire building right? to to get that ductwork to actually work. So, you know, whereas you were talking about a horror story, um, I actually... Oh, there are some positives, yeah. yeah. You know, and it all really depends on, you know, the type of teams, the type... And we, we've said it early on. It's the type of um, expectations you set early on in the project to, yeah. well, you know... And... You know, well, sometimes. You ever, sorry, go ahead, Neil. I was just going to say, sometimes even though you set an expectation, you know, things still fall down. I I had a situation where uh, a structural engineer. I told them the deadline. Yeah, yeah, 
you know, we got, the, it's no problem. Um, and then, oh, well, this guy's going to be on vacation that week. Okay. With, you know, the engineer working on the project. Oh, well, that's not a problem. So-and-so knows he'll, he'll have the drawings sent out. You'll get them on this day. Okay, great. So I, you know, check again. That's everything's fine. Okay, great. So that, that morning I'm waiting for my drawings. No drawings. <laughs> Love it when they, when they don't, when they either let you know the day before or the day of that they're not going to make the deadline. Oh no, no, this, this was, well, like I said, the guy, le the one guy left on vacation. So the other guy's supposed to pick up the ball and make sure I get the drawings. Right. So, uh, yeah, that day, no drawings, call them up. Where's my drawings? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, let me check on that. Oh, no. Oh, sorry. You know, blew it. Didn't go out. I'll have to send those out. Oh, it's too late now today. Um, yeah. you won't get them tomorrow because it's too late today. You won't get them till the next day. So two days go by. Well, now suddenly I look like a fool because I'm telling my client, okay, I've got the engineering coming in on, you know, let's just say Monday, you'll have your drawings. They'll be submitted Monday afternoon. Now it's not Monday afternoon, but it's Wednesday before I can submit. And oh, by the it's way, your yeah, fault. Yep. the deadline at the city for a particular, I forget what it was, you know, was Tuesday or something, you know, and, and so now suddenly I'm the day after and, you know, it, it just turned into a nightmare and yeah, who is to blame? Who's the client looking at in this case? Me. So you know, here's the case where the client, or I mean, the engineer in this case is completely faceless to the client. They don't even know who this person is. Right. They don't care. They don't, they don't exist to the client. They don't exist yeah. to the client. They're you are the one yeah. who falls yeah. flat on the face. And, you know, so the answer at the end of the day is, yeah, you suck it up and you look like a fool and you apologize and, you know, you move on. Right. And you don't, you know, it'd be nice to call them out, but you just have to, you have to take your lumps say, yeah, um, I apologize. Uh, this didn't, didn't work out. We had some snafus. It's going to be a little late. And the, but the, but the resolution to that is I didn't use that engineer ever again. Yeah. Well, you've got that, which is, that one's good. You also have the whole, you know, they send you like clockwork, their, uh, pay apps, you know, their invoices. Oh yeah. That's, said, that's not you know, a problem. I always you get, get to hold those, that right? over their head. But actually here, so as part of, uh, you know, and, and Evan was kind of talking about mapping it all out and, you know, developing the schedule and developing all the milestones and, you know, your critical submissions and all of that other stuff. So if I establish with the client all of that stuff, I always back it up a minimum of a week, if not a little bit more for yeah, you the gotta pad it. Yeah. So I, I, I always pad it. Only so that that doesn't happen, because when that does happen, oh, I so hate that. I yeah. mean, it's, I mean, you want to get my blood boiling, miss a deadline. It just... <laughs> well, that's, that's why it's important as the architect, you know, that you, we talked earlier about, you know, the management of all of this and is, is that you can't let it go. You have right. to stay on top of it. You call two days before or, you know, is everything okay? Are we looking good? We're going to have it on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, right? You know, and then you call the day before tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock, right? You know, I, you just have to keep doing that. But, but that goes back to what we were talked about earlier, where it becomes a full-time job. 
yeah, and, yeah. and you're you're a babysitter for all of these people. And and as our listener first said at this top of the show, it's like herding cats. You have to stay on top of these people because, you know, they and to their credit, I mean, to give them some credit, your job is not the only one they're likely working on. Right. I mean, they're working on a half dozen or more different projects as as well. And and so you the squeaky wheel gets the grease here is a so be the squeaky wheel so be the oh, squeaky yeah. i guess that's what i'm saying is that yeah you got to be the squeaky wheel your job has to be the most important well, well yeah, whether it is or not you have to make sure that your job is getting the attention that it needs um so that it stays on 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 time because if you don't do that it'll fall by the wayside for them and then you know as especially you know when i when I worked for a larger uh, production housing firm, architectural firm, you know, we had, and you guys probably have this too. And, and those of you in the industry will probably, uh, your firm has, you know, what they call their A clients, their B clients, and maybe C clients. And, and I'm sure consultants have the same thing for architects. Uh, he's an A architect. He's a B architect <laughs> and a C architect, right? Well, the C architect is the guy he's that, you know, no, 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 not, not that. I didn't say that. Uh, you know, but, but, but that's the architect who probably gives him one project a year you know, or something like that. And the B architect is giving him, you know, more jobs. And that A architect is, Hey, he calls, you take his call. They're giving us, you know, their 50% of our annual revenue comes from these people. So, you know, that those are the guys you need to hop on. Well, if you're that, you know, unfortunate C architect in this case, uh, who's not going to get the full attention, you have to try and do what you can to get that attention from, from your consultants. And, and that means staying on top of them, communicating with them. And, and really you can't let, you can't assume that their pro your project is their most important one. And so, right. you know, you really can't uh, ever assume these types of things and you have to stay on top of it. Uh, and and over time, as you develop a better relationship with your consultants, you know, you'll get to know them. You'll know what they're doing and everybody becomes more of a team. Right. Because you're all working together more on a consistent basis. Yeah. But, but if, don't don't stand up for their BS. You know, fire them. Get a new consultant. I mean. Show them that their work is not standing up and get, get someone in there who's going to. You, It's not worth it to just keep bending and bending and bending until it finally breaks and, and give them another chance and give them another chance. It only gets, it only seems to get worse. Oh, yeah, life. because, you know, your, your work is going to suffer from their poor work. Yeah. You know, you know, when you're walking through a building, you're just like, oh, I didn't realize that was there. Yeah. You know? Oh man. You just totally. Like, ah, you know. Um or really conservative, you know, you you're going to try to trying to do something really elegant and they're being really conservative and again, you don't catch that. Right. That beam or that column yeah. that's oversized and you wanted it to be thin and it's like, "Oh, what were they, you know, come on, we 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 should have pushed that one a little further." Oh, you yeah. got that RFI today too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I did. Jeez. So, yeah, I, you know, bringing it back to kind of the positive side of the collaboration again, I just want to, you know, something that we should probably talk about real quick here is kind of the digital age of collaboration. I know a lot of people out there are starting to 
collaborate, you know, over GoToMeeting and over Dropbox and over Evernote. And I don't know if you guys have much experience with that, but um, it, it's becoming more and more of yes. of a trend or a back channel um, that is starting to negate the need for proximity. Um, and so I think being able to work with engineers who aren't near you or, you know, any kind of consultant is becoming more and more of a possibility. So do you guys have any uh, any well, tips or experience with that kind of thing? I do that quite a bit, actually. My structural yeah, engineer certainly. that I use uh, on on all of my, you know, remodels and things like that, I mean, he lives in the Bay Area here in the San Francisco Bay Area, but, I mean, he's probably a 45-minute drive from where I'm at, and and we actually never meet <laughs> from for physically. any of our projects yeah. physically yeah we collaborate over the phone to we'll find meat yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um you know but we we still go a little more old school at least i mean we're we're collaborating over the phone and through emails uh, as far as uh sending files back and forth and and collaborating but um but we do that we do that uh, uh, quite a bit we we're not necessarily doing any sort of go to meeting type activities although when I first started, I didn't really do any CAD work because I hadn't done it in many years. And I was using a friend of mine who lived in Florida. And that was sort of a, a little different. It wasn't a collaboration with, a, well, I mean, he was a consultant of mine. And, and so, I mean, in that case, we both have Macs and we were just using the built-in tools um, that, that Apple provides in, in, the, in the Macintosh operating system to basically like share screens. And we were doing design where basically I was looking at his screen. I'd take over his mouse and point and, and click on things and say, no, 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 I want it like this, like that. And I mean, we were literally doing a live collaboration right over the internet, you know, looking at his screen or he's looking at mine. It was, it was almost as if I was standing over his shoulder and pointing at his screen. And, and it's, and it was so cool. It was like, I didn't need to have an employee here doing the actual work for me. Uh, I, you know, was helping out a friend of mine who was unemployed at the time in Florida and I was, had a job here I needed help with and we could do it that way. So it was a great way to extend my office, not just beyond the consultant that would be like the engineer providing the service that, you know, I'm not doing but but in this case, actually collaborating with another architect to help me do stuff. And I know that's been kind of popular. I know Mark's talked about it recently on one of his podcasts as well, kind of the virtual office idea. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, I haven't done it as much with other consultants that I work with because I'm finding that at least in some residential, especially in the custom residential stuff, I don't know things seem to be a little bit more, or maybe it's just the one firm I'm consulting with right now is a little more old school. It's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I mean, the engineer working that I'm working with right now, I mean, he's still on like AutoCAD 20 or 2004. And in fact, I, I've, we're, we're, I'm only doing AutoCAD 2010 in the office I'm consulting with right now. And it's like, literally when I was sending files to him, I'd forget and I'd send him the 2010 file. I'd get an email back from, uh, can you send that in 2004 format again? Yeah. Uh, whoops. Sorry can't about that. It. I can't open it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so there's, you know, there's all kinds of things like that. Uh, just, you mentioned Evernote. Uh, I'm working on this one project in this firm and, 
Um, I'm taking notes. I'm using Evernote for that. And then I'm actually sharing that notebook yeah. with a coworker in the office. Cause while he was on vacation, he could keep up with the meeting notes and we can, I, I have, uh, we have, I mentioned earlier, we have a whole bunch of consultants on this project and as they've been, uh, tied down, you know, it's, we, you know, got bids and we selected different consultants as I, I, I basically created a list of consultants and that's in Evernote and that's shared with him. So we all have access to that information. We don't, their office doesn't have kind of a common database of contacts and, uh, um, you know, project type data that everyone can access. So in this case, we're actually using Evernote, uh, to kind of do that. Yeah. And, and so, you could do that with tags and you can have business cards and all kinds of stuff in there. Exactly. And we're not taking it that far yet, but at least for note taking and, and, you know, who's working on the project, who's doing what, um, we're using it just, uh, uh, you know, kind of dipping our toes into the water a little bit with that. Um, so, uh, that's something that we're working on or working with, or rather I'm working with, uh, just yeah, to I find use, it easy. You know, I to, use Evernote for every project like that, where I keep all the consultants cards in there. I'll use my phone and take a photo of their card and Evernote mm -hmm. automatically recognizes it and adds them as a contact. And I just keep that in the project directory so that, you know, in Evernote so that everything that I keep is shared with my team and it's in there. So if you need to find whoever the structural is or whoever the metal panel consultant is, or it doesn't matter, you know, now, you, you go in there and you, you just do a search metal panel right. and it pops them up and call Brad. Here's his phone number. But I got a question for you then. Is that something you are doing on your own as you manage your projects or yeah. is that like a company wide? No, it's me because, because there's four people working on my project. It's not 200 people in the company. Right. So, right. I think there are there, I, and I just put some links into the show notes for collaboration tools. There are definitely some, you know, if you want to get out of the bombardment of email and you want to make it project specific, I think you probably want to get away from email and you want to get into something like a shared notebook in Evernote, or you want to look at some of the links that I put in there for Slack is a new one. It looks really cool um, for you know, kind of archiving of messaging and email and project files and all kinds of stuff. There's Igloo, there's GoToMeeting. We use GoToMeeting all the time for doing screen sharing meetings and it's fantastic. And well, then there's, there's... there's Basecamp. There's so many out there and you got to find the one that works well for you. But um, I think that, you know, the pro proliferation of these tools is really showing everyone that there are better ways to work and it goes beyond file sharing. Right. Um and it goes way beyond FTP. Like FTP is, no one's ever liked FTP, and there's right. no reason to still be using it. I mean, we use the the crappy SharePoint, but at least there it's project specific, right? Which is a big deal. So all of our consultants upload their PDFs and their CAD files and their Revit models there every week. We upload ours, and everything's in one place. There's never an excuse of why you can't find something that way. Yeah, I mean, we use... Uh... You know, a database, uh, well, basically just a project management tool called uh, New Forma. Everybody on the team uses it, including all the consultants. Everybody's, you know, can share. Anytime I set a meeting, you know, I set it up through New Forma. It links to my Outlook. It automatically sends, you know, this um, these updates and reminders and everything else to all the consultants. You know, and it's just a good tool to be able to share. Um, I mean, you know, you can do other things like, 
you know, we do the go to meeting and stuff like that, but you know, that one's specifically for architecture. Yeah. But I mean, um, I will say this, that even though there are a lot of good tools out there for file sharing, for, you know, doing meetings and all of that other stuff. I mean, what we always do is, especially when we're in the heat of both DDs and CDs, is every two weeks, project meeting, everybody's in the same room, face-to-face, you know, because in complex projects, you just gotta. Yeah, I I agree. To me, you just, you have to be there brainstorming, you know, some people are going to be sitting in there thinking, I really, you know, shouldn't be here. I don't know why I'm here. I should be, you know, <laughs> back in the office or whatever. But you know what? That one thing that one person says that, you know, everybody's on the same sheet. Everybody knows the same thing as everybody else. But that one thing that one person asks that, say, you know, a structural engineer needs to do something that's going to affect the civil engineer. You know, it's a good thing that that civil engineer was in that meeting. Cause, sitting right there, yeah. Yeah, so, yep. I mean, as much as I do believe in all of the tools, because trust me, that all of these tools do make, you know, my life and my management life and uh, all of the diff- miscellaneous things, like, you know, all the great tools for taking field notes and, you know, site photos and punch lists and all this other stuff that are just like these mundane things that, you know, or what we think are mundane things, uh, but end up sucking your day away, you know, um, are things that, you know, like when I walk around and I type in whatever I need to, rather than writing it down, if I just go that, you know, a couple extra minutes and type it in, take the photograph all with, you know, on my iPad and I'm using, you know, my punch list app it automatically goes back to the office database. As long as I've got a a connection, it goes back to the office database. When I get back to the office database, I say, already working on it. I say generate report and it generates a report. It puts in all of the photographs. It puts in all of the markups that I've done. Everything's compiled together. And then all I have to do is hit, you know, email report. (laughs) And And that's all. Sends it on the is that all in new uh, out of yeah. new forma you mentioned? That's our, yes, that's all yeah. in new forma for us. We'll have a link in the show notes to all uh, yeah. all these so, different ones. You know, it's a it's a great tool. You know, a lot of people. Um, you know, it's it's in comparison to like say the uh, pro forma or um, you know all of these other things that the contractors use, um, but it's just more inherent and a little bit more. Uh, you know, it's it just, it kind of flows better for architects and engineers to use something like that. Um, and I've gotten a lot of favorable things, you know, it's like, you know, Hey, uh, you know, I sent out and I get an RFI from the contractor. I log it into new forma. I forward it off to whoever needs to review it, uh, before it comes back to me for me to do the final review and send it off. But say you, you know, you only get by contract, you only get a week to, review the RFI. Um, I said a little reminder that says two days before it's due, it's going to send an email every morning. There'll be email sitting in there. Thanks. And, uh, your, you know, this emails or this RFI is due. And then, um, if it, uh, 
goes past due, then it sent. I have it set where it sends <laughs> two emails a day, you know, to uh, nice. keep reminding them, you know, hey, uh, you got to get this squeaky and, wheel. And nine times, yeah, exactly. Goes back to the squeaky nine wheel. times out exactly. of ten, they'll be like, you know, hey, um, you know, I, I keep getting this email about this uh, RFI. I was like, well, did you answer the RFI? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> when you answer the RFI, the emails will stop. <laughs> so you want them to stop? You, uh, yeah. go, you know, answer that RFI. You know, Cormac, that that just brings to mind uh, a couple of things. But the first one is that uh, in dealing with in one of my former jobs, working for a developer as a project manager and forward planner, was to deal with cities. And, uh, and I'm sure you guys can sympathize with this dealing with school boards and school districts and things like that. But in dealing with the planning staff and, and, uh, and, and different aspects of the different, uh, jurisdictions I've worked, uh, worked in, they're notoriously very busy. They have lots of different things to do. And, and when you're trying to develop a project and get through the, uh, final, you know, map stage and improvement plans and different aspects like that it's really hard to get answers. And so one of the tricks that I would always do, and this kind of goes you know, a little bit to what you were just saying about the emails is I'll call them and leave, you know, usually have to leave a message and say, um, you know, looking for, you know, whatever the, the message is, and then let it, you know, you know, look forward to getting your call back or whatever. And then, you know, if, if the, if they don't call back in a day or two, or, or depending on when I need the, need the information, I'll call them again and I'll leave another message and say, basically end the message with, I will call you tomorrow morning and just tell them that. And then usually we'll prompt a call back. I'll get a call back because they know I'm telling them I will call you tomorrow if I do not get this answer. And then if I really need the answer, if they're really ignoring me, I'll call them in the morning and I'll say, um, I'm going to call you back after lunch today. And then after lunch, I'll, I'll call back. If I have to leave another message, I'll call you back tomorrow morning. And essentially it's the email thing that you just said, but I'm doing it, you know, verbally because these guys sometimes don't respond to any emails either. So yeah. Yeah. if you call and you tell them you're calling them again, I, I guarantee you 10 times out of 10, you'll get that call back. They will call you back. And so that's a, that's a, a little trick that, uh, that I picked up when I was having to deal with people that notoriously didn't want to call you back because the difference is, is that when you have consultants that are working for you or with you on a project, there's, they're motivated to at least respond to you, to, to, you know, collaborate with you when you're and and to, you know, beat your deadline. Right. I mean, because they're going to get paid, you're going to get paid. Everybody's happy. Um, when you're dealing with, public agencies, there's no motivation on their side. I mean, they don't work for you. I had a boss once tell me, um, he, everybody who worked for him or everybody who worked on his projects, he was in land development. They all worked for him. He said, jump. They all said, how high we'll get out there. We'll grade this thing. We'll do you know whatever it was. They all worked for him. And so he'd look at me as the project, as forward planner and say, Neil, you know, why haven't you got a response from the city on this? Why, you know, why can't you get this through the city in a week or two days? Why do you have to, you know, why can't you get these people to jump? And it was like, my response was, they don't work for me. 
and they're not paid by me. They're not paid by our clients. And so it's, it's, it's much harder. So that was kind of a, a method I developed. It, you know, I'm, I'm not the first person to actually think of this. I'm sure it was just to tell them, I'm going to call you back. And this is when I'll call you back unless I get a response prior to that. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's a tiny side note, but back to what you were talking about, about the new forma, uh, information, you know, that, that sounds really cool. And I, I, another tool that I've used in the past for more inner office, and it also deals with financial side of it as well is, uh, ArchiOffice, um, which is, is, is another program similar to what you were talking about with new forma, where, you know, everything kind of can collaborate together. Um, and it also takes you you know, the next step to dealing with, uh, your financial management as well on the projects. That's another tool. We'll have a link in the show notes for, uh, you know, for people to check out if they're interested in that. It kind of takes the, it, it takes Evernote, you know, what you were saying, Evan, about Evernote and sharing the, the contacts of people involved in a project. You can actually, through this program, program, uh, it'll do that for you. You can assign, you know, your existing contacts that are in your main database, to a particular job. So if you look up the project notes on a job, it'll tell you who the, all the consultants were and, uh, you know, give you their contract info, con, contract information and, you know, files, financial reports. It's very cool. It does yeah. a lot of different things. I've had Again, an opportunity that's for architecture right? and that's really for architect. I mean, it was created by an architect, right. Uh, you know, for, for his own yeah, firm so at the time. Rapid. And, yeah. Well, that guy maybe needs to be shot, but, uh, <laughs> from yeah. someone who doesn't use it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Um, but anyway, another tip that I would just bring up real quick in closing, maybe, and I think most people know to do this, but because we were talking a little bit about this before the show with Cormac and his, uh, archiving of every email ever. Um, any phone call that you have always memorialize it afterward in an email. Yeah. Because a lot of, you know, you need to go back and find what was said regarding this and that. And uh, a lot of those things happen over the phone. And so it makes a lot of sense to just say, okay, here's a follow-up email. I'm just memorializing what we agreed to and discussed over the phone. These three bullet points. You know, if you have any comments, please reply. And that's it. And then you have something that's searchable at some point. You know, and, and that really has saved us a lot of times. Um, and I know it's... This is exactly what you were talking about before, Cormac, where people come back later and say, we would have never said that. And then you say, well, check your inbox because you did. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and, and it, it really does um, settle disputes quickly. Um, and if somebody just said, well, I would have never said that, and it was just a phone call, you're, you're kind of screwed. So Right, yeah, because then you, you know, you always, when you do the, that email, you know, always say, you know, Please let me know if I've misunderstood, you know, the intent or this, that, or the other, just so that, you know, you've made the statement, this is what I understand the issue to be. If I'm mis, you know, if I've misrepresented what you said, or if I, you know, or if you have a different, you know, direction, please let me know. Otherwise, that's it. That's the last thing. That's the direction you're going with, you know, and they're either by their silence or their acknowledgement. Yes, exactly. They're letting you, you know, you're moving forward. Good little tip there. That's a pro tip. So if anybody is misinterpreting misinterpreting anything we said on the show tonight, please make sure you respond in the comments (laughs) to the show (laughs) notes. If you're misinterpreting. (laughs) 
You're wrong. <laughs> and if you've misinterpreted everything that we've said, let us know. Exactly. All right, guys. Well, I think that's a wrap. Yep. Hey, don't don't forget to uh, check out the Facebook page for the ALS videos and to uh, donate at arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate. And any donation that comes in between now and our next recording is going to go toward ALS in the name of the Arca Speak podcast and all of our listeners. Yep. Thank you in advance for uh, for donating, and thanks again for listening. All right. See you next time. Good night. Good night. Yeah.